Hello and welcome to another episode of Ideaprov, um, um, where we kind of put together information and share ideas to the people. Um, I have a real co-host today. Her name is Laura. I met her on LinkedIn. We had some really good engaging kind of chats and conversations about life and work and career. So I want to bring her on the show and kind of pick her brain about our thought and our topic for the day. So Laura, introduce yourself. Tell us how you're doing and what's going on. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks to you. First of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm Laura. I'm originally from New York, but I'm currently based in Argentina. And yeah, Mike and I connected because I care a lot about kind of how we navigate our careers and the systems that really influence the directions that we take. Um, I was super excited about this because I was actually taking some improv classes at Second City when I lived in Chicago. So just a, a fun opportunity to get to be creative and have some fun. Wonderful. Well, thanks for being on the show. Yeah. <laughs> of course. So we're here again. And one of the things I wanted to discuss with her because we, we had a really good um, kind of a topic about career was the concept of language and school. Right. So. One of the things that, that kind of jogged my, my memory and thought process was language is kind of like this essence of humanity. And however, um, Laura's currently, you know, working and living in a different country. And although most people in other countries are multilingual, I'm not gonna say most, it's some, um, here in the United States, it's kind of like, you know, English and that's about it. So my question that I wanted to pose and kind of talk about today was, how can school systems better incorporate other languages into curriculum to make future generations more well-rounded? So my first initial thought with this, right, was going from personal experience, I had the opportunity in high school to take German. Took German, it was great. Went to college, took a little Spanish, that was awesome too. Um, but outside of a certain amount, you kind of lose it. And of course, if you don't use it, you lose it. So my thing is, is like, why don't we start the process from, instead of high school, start it from elementary school or middle school and like force it to be a natural requirement in school curriculum education kind of going forward. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts? Is, is that a, a plausible solution? I mean, to start out yeah. with? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I have so many thoughts and feelings about this. I am a serious language nerd. Um, I used to like translate songs into other languages in middle school <laughs> and, sing, and sing them. I used to talk to my cat only in Italian um, just because I always wanted to be bilingual, right? Like it's this idea that you can exponentially multiply the number of people that you can communicate with. And so while I agree, yes, starting earlier is huge, especially given that, you know, if someone says, oh, I took high school Spanish, that's kind of a joke in and of itself, right? The assumption is that, oh, well, you took high school Spanish. You don't, you don't actually speak Spanish. You can say taco and gracias and that's it. So I wholeheartedly agree with like starting earlier. And if you look around the world, a lot of other countries, I mean, specifically in Latin America, English language learning starts really early, you know, sometimes as early as kindergarten. Um, the, what I think, I think, you know, one of the reasons I was excited about this topic is because I feel very strongly that in order to actually achieve any sort of level of fluency in another language, 
you have to be just legitimately excited and obsessed about the concept that like by learning new words, you can exponentially multiply the number of people that you can communicate with, right? So I think yes, starting earlier, but also like getting them excited about how cool is it that you can, that, that language is a thing and that humans have been able to think of this. Um, and, and I think so many language classes dive straight into vocab grammar, but I really think there needs to be a first step of like, why is this the coolest thing ever? And why is it important? How is it gonna serve you later on in life? So those are my, my initial thoughts. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's <laughs> spot on because that's the reason why I've done it. Like I, I have the little app, of course, I have Duolingo and I've been really nailing it for close to like four years now. Like I'm really, you know, it's like I do it every day, like in the morning, sometimes like I'll never forget for some reason, I just gotten a good habit. Now, am I completely fluent in any of the things that I've done? No, not in the least. Do I feel more comfortable? Absolutely. Um, so it's always interesting to me because like I thought I was the only one that thought like that. So for me, I look at it and I'm like, hey, if I'm able to learn two languages, that's twice as many people that I can communicate with, build ideas with, talk about life with, whatever the case may be. And if you go three, four, fantastic. Um, I remember I was working just on a sidebar. I was working um, at, uh, at night doing like a maitre d' type of thing. And there was a gentleman that lived in the apartment complex above and he remodeled the inside of yachts. And so he traveled all the world to do it. And I said, so just out of curiosity, like how do you speak with these people and whatever? And he told me, he was like, oh, well, he's like, I, I know seven languages fluently. And I was like, what? Like seven? He's like, yeah. He's like, I know English and Spanish and French and, and Mandarin. And, and I was like, I was like, man, this dude can go anywhere and talk with almost like anybody throughout the world. I'm like, how cool is that? And I think you like you hit it spot on to be able to kind of tweak those people, you know, those, those young brains and say, hey, listen, there's a whole world out there, a whole seven or eight billion people that you can communicate with that will be you know, open or at your disposal to be able to talk with. Like, I think that part needs to be really amplified. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't know how you exactly do that with, with education, but. Well, I, I think additionally, apparently brains, if you start to learn a language before, I think it's the age of seven, um, you can actually speak that language without an accent, right? So. Um, apparently, if, if you start early enough. Um, so, you know, I, I think that the speaking seven or eight languages, like, sure, that's great. And I think for schools, it's a matter of, um, you know, actual utility. Like, to learn a language for the sake of learning the language is probably going to be less productive, I think, than, like, learning a language because you're actually going to use it, right? If you don't use it, you lose it. Like, you're actually going to speak it. You have a reason for wanting to learn it. Um, so I think quantity over quality, when we're thinking about schools, is something that I would definitely advocate for. Um, and the, I mean, literally, immersive language experiences have actually, uh, they've... Uh, they've dictated my entire career. <laughs> um, it's, you know, so many of the decisions I've made is because I wanted full immersion. So I think one of the challenges is, you know, if we're thinking about regular public schools, if you're getting, you know, maybe an hour a day of some class, is that necessarily enough? No. 
especially you know, depending on the level that you want to get to. Um, especially if the teacher is, you know, well, no, the teacher doesn't have to be a native speaker, but if all of the other classmates are, you know, don't speak that language as well. Um, what's challenging, I think, with language learning, at least in my experience, is that it requires discomfort. Um, and by that I mean, like, you need to be in a situation where you're fully immersed, where you don't have a personality for a while, where you have to struggle. Um, because I think that like in just learning vocab, you're not gonna get to that place where you can actually legitimately communicate. Um, and I mean, for example, I have, I have a friend from the States who lives here in Argentina as well, but you know, she came, she wanted to learn Spanish, but she's always with English speakers. And I think especially as adults, more so than children, it's, it's scary to fail. You don't wanna put yourself out there. You know, they say alcohol is like the best, you know, lubricant for helping to speak language because you lose that inhibition. Um, but in all honesty, it's like, how do you get people to get over that fear of failure in order just to just practice, practice, practice speaking with people, listening to it? Um, when I was learning Spanish, uh, I mean, I was obsessed. I was listening to songs. I was looking up lyrics. I was watching novelas. I, <laughs> I made my whole world that. Um, and how, how do we recreate that in schools? I think bilingual schools do a good job of that, right? But in, in traditional public schools, that's that's where it gets. Yeah, I think that's I think that's, that's right because it's it's like there is that level of uncomfortability, right? Um, so I've been working on Spanish for like I said about four years now, and I'm decent. You know, am I fluent? Can I understand a lot? Of course, I don't speak it as much, but I'll do different things that I find myself becoming a little bit uncomfortable with. So, for example, I'll watch TV shows like like you said the novellas. Um, listen to sometimes some music and yes i'll listen to the same song two or three times to see if that can help but if it does great if it doesn't whatever um and it's just those little little bits of uncomfortability that i think i think you have to be okay with from an internal perspective um not necessarily being able to be fluent out the gate um like I know it was a couple years ago, I spent some time in Arizona, so of course it's right on the, the Mexican border and it's heavy and I worked at a, at a, um, at a Hispanic restaurant and so every, uh, everybody in the kitchen was Hispanic and spoke Spanish. And so I told them, I was like, hey, like while I'm here, like let me just learn some Spanish. And by far when I was there, more than the four years that I've done now, I was far more fluent back then. And it's just because I'm going in the kitchen and I'm talking about, hey, I need, you know, arroz and frijoles. Like I need all this stuff to come back, you know. It's like I need those platos con pollo and like all this kind of stuff. And they're like, you're getting good at this. And I'm like, hey, as long as it's food related, I'm probably okay right now. Um, so like, I'm thinking, like in my mind, is there a way that we can take some of those? smaller interactions that might not be so intimidating for children and maybe turn them into a second opportunity for immersion so 
maybe it's the beginning part of a, a lecture or the beginning part of, of, uh, of class or something like that. Like we spend 15 minutes or an hour in the very beginning and we're always, maybe we're always talking Spanish or always French or, or German or whatever the language is um, to do that. I mean, does it make it uncomfortable? And, and of course, you know, you don't want to compromise the integrity of what the what the content is. Do you just have that one language class, or do you say, "Hey, we're going to try to apply it for different subjects"? Um, I don't know what the answer well, is. One thing, you know, you bring up a really interesting point in that when you were working at that restaurant, you had a very clear reason for wanting to be able to, to communicate in that way, right? Like that was your job. Right? And that was, it probably simplified your process of working in that restaurant to be able to communicate with them in Spanish. So there, there was clear utility, there was a clear purpose and need, and there was consistency and repetition, right? Like every day, you're probably ordering similar things. Um, I think with a lot of class-based language learning, a lot of the challenge is that, you know, it's, and I'd say this for school more broadly, but it's centered around uh, tests and grades and you know you're you're learning to do well on the test you're not learning to see how it could actually serve you in your life right and so i mean for me like get rid of requirements um and have have all exams be oral um obviously that that would make a lot more sense um for for older students but i think that that utility needs to be there and so many, you know, language books, it's, you know, you're learning, you're learning really basic kind of vocabulary, you're memorizing things that aren't necessarily applicable to your day-to-day -day life, that you wouldn't necessarily be saying, you know, donde esta la biblioteca, like where's the library? Sure, is that something you're really gonna be asking at a school that you attend? Yes, <laughs> right? I completely okay. agree, that makes so much sense. <laughs> makes so much sense, it's like you're just not randomly going to, like if you're in the store, you're not, you're not gonna be talking about the library and other, other things. Right. So maybe it's, you know, what if there was a way, and again, this is, um, I mean, you know, not pedagogically sound, I'm sure, but what if there was a way to, to say, hey, let's think about what are the conversations that you're having on a day-to-day -day basis? Let's recreate and then see how we can translate those and see how we can take those topics, those themes of everything that you're actually communicating um, and learn how to communicate them in another language. So, you know, in high school, I love to, you know, like who doesn't love gossip? Who doesn't talk about stuff, right? Like what if it was like, well, why don't I get you excited about like this teen magazine? Why don't I walk you through the storyline of this novella and we can talk about the characters like we're gossiping about them that's something that you know is is useful because it's aligned with what they would be talking about anyway. Yeah, just a thought. No, no, that's that's really great because um, one of my teachers did that. Um, I forgot what it was. I think it was an English class or something like that. And her goal was that was her way of like calming down the class from you know everybody comes in off the off the um, all the hallways or or whatever. And she would read a story like a novel. And so if you weren't there or you were late, you were listening, you would miss part of whatever she was talking about so or part of that chapter or whatever the case may be so she would read usually about a chapter in the morning because we had block scheduling so each class was about an hour and something so she had the appropriate time to do it um, and it would be the first 10-15 minutes um, and she would read that story and every single every single child in that room was glued you know, and of course, at the end of the chapter, it would be a nice cliffhanger. And so when next time you came to class, you were ready and you're engaged. So 
I'm just thinking if you pivoted that into another language where you're having to focus, you're having to to listen to the dialogue, to listen to the characters, to how they're speaking, you're gonna naturally pick up that stuff, I'm thinking like on a regular basis. And of course those type of stories can move you know, with age, so of course they can get more complicated. You know, the very young, they could talk about, you know, El Pedro and all that kind of stuff, and then, you know, finally like a little dog and, um, and cats and, and talk about things in school, but then as they get to middle school and high school, you can have more complex stories that could develop into who knows what, you know, and they can write, write papers on For it, sure. who knows. And I think to a certain extent, like, a lot of language classes try to do that. Like a, a little bit, you know, like with storytelling, with reading. Um, but you talking about that made me think of, um, have, you ever, have you ever used like a Lonely Planet guidebook for travel at all? Yeah, it's like kind of hip and cool and for the budget traveler. Um, but a lot of times they usually have like basic, you know, how, how to get by in Spanish, how to get by in this. And a lot of times they include like how to flirt. Right? How, or you know, how how to pick someone up and talk. I mean, imagine if you did that in a high school, right? And you're like, listen, okay, I'm not going to teach you how to conjugate right now, but you know, let's say you were trying to talk somebody up. Let's practice how you would do that. And I can bet you that that would be a lot more engaging for a high school student than you know the subjunctive tense. I mean, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because it's one of the natural things, right? Like you ask people. Um, what they like or you know in a particular spouse or whatever and they're like oh yeah you know he or she sounds super super sexy because they have an accent it's like me and they know another language so when you know another language it's like ooh la la like <laughs> you know it just adds that mystique so if you teach them to do those kinds of things and say hey you can talk in class but if you talk to, to someone else in class you have to use a different language like force them to use that brain if they're going to be, I don't know, maybe deviant or, or to flirt or to pick up people. Um, I feel like there's big ways there to be advantageous ways, I guess you could say. Yeah. Well, I think another thing, and, and especially when you suggested the topic in thinking about the age of COVID, right, and technology, I mean, back in the day, pen pals were a thing. But now with technology, Obviously, we were able to communicate with people around the world, right? You're in Florida. I'm in Argentina. Um, and I'm, I'm certain that certain schools are approaching this, but, you know, how neat would it be to have, like, a, a pen pal or a buddy that, you know, you do language exchanges with oh, consistently? Because I think, you know, comfort and trust are a huge part of being able to communicate with someone and, like, feeling comfortable communicating in another language. So one thing that I would really love to see in the age of COVID is like, wouldn't it be so great if schools could partner with other schools in other countries and, you know, plan for, you know, maybe once or twice a week, that 30 minutes in English, 30 minutes in Spanish and, and having that kind of exchange. Now, in order to have that, there absolutely needs to be like some sort of foundational level of, of language. And I think some sort of structure around what the hell do they talk about? But... Uh, I don't know. I think that would be way more exciting, and then you'd have an international friend. Yeah, and see, so that was that was my next thing. Like, and you just hit it. And you're like, you have an international friend. Now, I, I agree. You have to work out those logistics of what exactly you talk about, what exactly you communicate. Do you do you make it more actual, studious, like topic based? Do you make it more of a fun type ordeal where they could just talk? And then, I mean, how how many is worth it? You know, and of course those are those are details, but I think the overall arching principle makes a whole lot of sense. Just to get 
just from the exposure standpoint, right? And and it might not even be something that's across the world. It could be something that's, you know, maybe a state away or maybe a city away. If you have some um, some people that are of different different languages and different schools or something like that, that's predominantly, you know, they're learning this language, they're learning that language, and they can they can communicate. Like that's a wonderful tool because then at that point it opens up a whole nother like area of, of you know abilities, right? So the next thing that in my mind that goes that goes to is if you know a field trip, like after you know a couple of months or whatever. Hey, let's get the two classes together and let's go, you know, go to a museum where these two people that have been pen pals can finally meet. You know, I'm, I'm thinking like if these are middle school kids, they're gonna be over the moon. I get to finally meet my pen pal, you know, and, and they go talk and do something and collaborate, and then they have the ability to speak in different languages. Like that's a humongous experience, I would think, for a young child to be able to grow and say, hey. The importance of language here is amazing because if I wasn't able to do this, like I might not ever be able to speak to Raul or, right. or you know whoever <laughs> it is. So yeah, that um, that just reminded me of a couple years ago. I was working on a program called Semester at Sea, which is a cruise ship that goes around the world. It's a college course, whatever. Um, and in each port, we'd have kind of field trips for a given class. And I remember the Spanish class actually connected with a local university Spanish class. Um, and basically we got together, I, I was invited because I speak Spanish, but we got together and spent the whole day speaking Spanish with this class of Vietnamese students. And it was so cool because we don't speak Vietnamese. They didn't speak English. And so we were absolutely forced to communicate in Spanish and we went our tour guide had actually was Vietnamese and had studied in Cuba, so his Spanish was incredible. And how cool is it that like we didn't even have the choice to speak anything but Spanish because otherwise we wouldn't have been able to communicate. But that you know, without having not learned this third language, we wouldn't be able to communicate. So even even something like that, where it's like a second language for both. Um, that turns out to be a really incredible experience too, if that can be facilitated somehow. Yeah. I mean, do you think that that? Was so cool. I was about to say, do you think that that like amplified your your thirst for that knowledge, or was it like, were you just kind of too much in the moment to be able to, like, did you? I guess my my question is, did you? Were you able to process that like the coolness factor of it while you were actually doing it, or was it just kind of like after the fact, after you left, you were like, wow, I can't believe that just happened. Um, great question. I am such a language nerd. I was excited about it from the day that I heard it was happening. Um, but I will say that, you know, I was, what, 25 at the time? And I think I was definitely way more excited than, I mean, the students themselves were like, yeah, this is cool. But I was like, no, you don't realize how cool this is. I was like the nerdy chaperone. I was like, let's all chat with each other. How cool is this? Um, so yes and no. I think it depends on outlook a lot, but but still. Now, what would you say to those children who, I guess, are in school, or I guess, maybe not the children, because I don't think the children would have that much against it, but to the moms and dads who say, why? Like, why are we sucking up valuable curriculum time? Um, teaching our children other languages, they should just learn English. And if we if we cut out that time, then we would be able to um, 
you know, cram more work and they'll be able to learn more knowledge there. That's a great question. Um, and I think there's, there's definitely two sides to the argument. You know, on the one side, technology is improving and there's, you know, translation services and even, gosh, this was over 10 years ago, I interned at a translation agency over the summer and I couldn't believe, and this was a major New York City translation agency. Um, and the head translator said, okay, here, take this text, put it in Google Translate, and then we'll sit down and we'll edit it. And I said, what? You're like a premier firm and I'm using Google Translate, right? So <laughs> absolutely from that, from that standpoint, yeah, is, is it necessarily that necessary? Maybe not, you know, especially if you're not born into a family that's already requires multiple languages. However, I'd say for brain development, I mean, they say that, you know, uh, people that speak multiple languages are less prone to developing dementia. Um, I'd say for empathy, for cultural understanding, I mean, it's, I still remember the first time that I like understood a concept in Spanish that I couldn't explain in English. But I, but I understood it because I'd seen it in context so many times, which is really freaking cool, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so I think from, you know, a soft skills, mental perspective building capacity, I, I think it's absolutely essential. Um, and, you know, to the point of these days, you know, everyone's focused on hard skills, right? And like STEM and all these things, which are obviously essential. But if, if we're not able to, to communicate, what good are they? Yeah. So my, my, my liberal arts speaking is, is, is coming out a little <laughs> so heavy. No tech skills. <laughs> I mean, but, but the thing is, it's, like you said, it's so important. Like that language dynamic is, it's so crucial for a lot of people. And I don't think that they realize how, how bigger your kind of mind and your thought process gets when you're able to speak, you know, a different language. Like I said, that time when I'm out in Arizona, and I, I, I would say at that point in time, I got to around 60 to 70 percent fluent. Um, and so that was that was bad. Um, I'm kind of kicking myself because I didn't get farther along. But when it's never too late, it's never too late. I'm still working <laughs> at it, still working at it. Uh, I just remember leaving work sometimes, and as soon as I stepped in the door, I only spoke Spanish. And as soon as I left, you know, I switched back to English. And I would think for those couple of hours, like it was a totally different world. It felt like I was living in a movie. And there'd be sometimes I would go back and I would have full-blown conversations with people, and and I would think to myself, I was like, am I really doing this? Is this just? whatever but it just came and i would understand and i would overhear conversations and i remember that there was there was one of the sh one of the chefs and he said he was talking to another one of the ladies that was helping and he said don't worry about him referring to me he can understand what we're saying and like <laughs> the amount of pride that came out when yes. that happened like i couldn't push my chest out anymore you know and it's like <laughs> it's, it's the little things but like those sure. little gratification moments that can make you feel so empowered and i gotta think if, if we're able to provide that and i was at the time uh, shoot mid-20s late 20s if if i'm able to do that in my late 20s imagine the profound effect that it could have on a 13 year old or a 10 year old you know for sure for sure 
Well, I think that you have the key component in that, and I think one of the reasons you got as far as you did was you're excited by it, right? Like you think it's cool. And that's why I think that the first step for language learning, whether in school or as an adult, is like there needs to be a why this is awesome orientation, yeah. right? Like, like yes. there needs to be a let's get excited about how, I mean, and, and also, you know, I'd say that some people have facility with language, some people don't, right? Some people have facility with, facility with math, some people don't. That happens, that exists. But I think that we're most prone to be able to improve, to improve in the things that we're excited about and that we're fascinated by. And I think it almost should be, there should be like some sort of intro of saying, hey, this is why languages are awesome. These are all the things that you can do. Imagine all these people you could communicate with. Here are the things that you could accomplish. Here are the things you could understand. And then from there, the ones that are really excited to say, holy crap, I want to do those things. And then to opt in, right? Because I think, I mean, as with lots of learning, when it is imposed and it's required and people don't see the value in it, yeah, obviously they're not going to care about it. Uh, I mean, and that's, you know, one of the prime differences between, you know, childhood learners and adult learners, right? Adult learners are usually more self-motivated. Motivated. So I think a why language is awesome orientation to then opt in uh, could be helpful. You know, the reality of implementing any of these things, I'm not sure, but in my brain, that would that would be the, right, no, the best. No, no, I think that'd be, that's a great first step, right? Because I'm envisioning like the little kids deciding, hey, I think this is a really good idea. Like mommy, daddy, or teacher, Miss whoever, or Mr. Whatever. Um, I'm really passionate about French, and we could say, okay, well, at that point in time, you've come across these, let's say, or you know, X number of students that have said hey, I went through this orientation, I want to learn more, maybe they have an honor uncle that speaks it or whatever the case may be, and you're able to kind of focus their energy into that instead of mandating it. Because I know when I went to high school, it was, it was mandated in which you had to take X amount of classes of, of Spanish or whatever the case may be. Um, everybody took Spanish. I remember I took German just because, hey, let's do something different, you know? Um, but I'm thinking if now I were to have- Florida. Now you're in Florida. Now I'm in Florida, so <laughs> of course. Spanish. Lots of Spanish everywhere. It makes total sense. <laughs> Uh, that keeps, makes total sense. Um, yeah. Okay, so a wide, so, awesome oh, orientation. No, go ahead. Uh, my my follow-up to that is just, that's why I think having some sort of cultural pull is essential. Um, for me, it was dance, right? I was obsessed with salsa. I was obsessed with Romeo Santos, who's this like famous bachata singer. When anybody asked me why my Spanish is so good, I just say that Romeo Santos changed my life. Um, but even, even more so, <laughs> I remember I, I worked as a study abroad advisor at a university for a number of years in Miami. Um, and I remember my kids that wanted to go to Japan, and uh, some of them still lived there, and this was like almost 10 years ago. <laughs> the kids that wanted to go to Japan were so into anime and manga and beyond like their classes. And Japanese is hard as hell but they would get together and hang out and like study the, I forgot what it's called, but they would, they would actually study the characters and that would be like a Friday night. So they, they saw, they were excited about it because of kind of the cultural pieces of it. They saw the value in it 
um, by, you know, like, oh my gosh, we'd be able to create this, we'd be able to communicate, we'd be able to understand people, we're understanding the culture. And then so many of them ended up at least studying abroad there, and many of them are still really connected to Japan, whether currently living there or back and being really involved in Asian culture. So the, the cultural tie, I, I think, is huge. So music, food, etc. Yeah, I mean, the, a person relationship. Per, the person relationships, I think, is huge. People having that firsthand account. Of course, when you know somebody comes back from somewhere, like, oh, I saw this and I saw that. I saw, you know, was whatever, Great Wall of China or you know, um, Eiffel Tower, you know, giant landmarks. You know, of course, kids' eyes light up. You know, and they think it's the most the craziest thing. Um, but like, I'm envisioning right now. When you're talking about that, you know, to change kind of the, the school system dynamic is to have like little young kids almost have like a cultural day, right? In which they have a guest speaker come in, they have food from that particular place come in, they have um, music from there, you know, arts and crafts and stuff that all belong to other countries. And maybe, I don't know if it's a week or maybe a day or something like that, but it can be like multicultural day or like global week, right? And you spend like Mondays, you're in China, and Tuesdays, you're in you're in France, and then, you know, Wednesdays, you're in Africa or some, somewhere like that, right? And so it gets the exposure going and then also gets them excited about well, if I ever want to go there, if I ever want to do anything, it's going to be a lot easier for me if I know this language that um, could potentially be super helpful for me to be able to communicate with the people. And, and then from there, then you can say, okay, how many people were interested in, you know, Belgian customs or, you know, Norwegian customs? And you could say, okay, these seven kids, we're going to put you guys in a little class to all learn together at the same time and make it part of their curriculum. Would that be out of, would that be crazy to think of? No, I, I mean, and, and I think things like that exist. I, I mean, at my um, undergrad, FIU, um, we had a multicultural week, right? Um, the the one thing that I, I would push back as far as like for, for younger kids or, or generally is like, I remember our multicultural week, it had food, it had dance, but I mean, if, if you're one of those kids that's too cool for school, you're like, whatever, dance, right? Like, who cares? I'm not interested in that. And I don't know why my brain keeps going here, um, but I'm thinking like specifically for, for high school, you know, what if it was like showing pictures of like really attractive people from X country? It's like, hey, you could talk to them if you spoke this language. Here's your motivation, right? <laughs> or um, I think that, I, I don't know, like people, like have it be kind of hobby based, right? Like, so, you know, if, if it's dance, like, okay, well, where is X dance from? Okay, Latin America, great, you'll learn Spanish. But it could be even things around certain kinds of art or around certain, um, I don't know, sports or activities, right? Like, I think that, that as much as music and food embody culture, I think getting even more granular of like, hey, what do you like to do? Where in the world is that done? Here's where you could really engage in it, right? I, I think that's um, that could be a good way to get people to actually be committed to something and say like, huh, I'm obsessed with soccer and how cool, I'm gonna go to Latin America and I'm gonna play a ton of soccer and I'm gonna be able to communicate with my teammates. Yeah, how cool is that? so that's, no, I, I think that's, that's perfect because I'm thinking as, 
you have to almost engage with them like at that level. You can't almost set it up and expect them to just gravitate towards it. So you have to kind of jump into their lifestyle, their thinking, the things that they're interested in they want to do. So you're thinking of an average teenager. What are the things that they, you know, they're wondering about? They're wondering about fitting in. They're wondering about their groups of friends, what their groups of friends and their hobbies, kind of figuring themselves out. So if you can jump in, like you said, with this food, sports, uh, you know, I'm thinking theater, that type of that type of arena, you know, and you could say, hey, listen, it's really big in X country and you'll be able to go over there and do things. Maybe it's fashion and runway and stuff. And so you could say, hey, like, I'm going to start to learn, you know, Italian. So that way, if I meet famous Italian designers, like I have something to be able to kind of talk about um, and with them. So I think that's a great point. And I think you could you could easily set that up to be almost like a small, medium, large. So a multicultural week for young kids, a multicultural week for middle school kids, and then for high school kids, um, that would definitely be catered to the things that they're, they're gonna like and kind of enjoy. For sure, for sure. I think one of the challenges as English speakers is that, you know, I mean, Chinese is now, I think, the number one language spoken in the world, but English is the language of business, right? And so even, I remember, um, I started undergrad in Montreal because I was like, I'm going to be an Italian major and I'm going to live in this French city and I'm going to be trilingual. Um, and that, that didn't happen in that way. I am trilingual, but two entirely different languages. Um, but in, in Montreal, you know, I would try to be practicing my French and people would just respond in English, right? Or they'd want to practice their English. And I know that, that for a lot of you know, students, specifically when they're studying abroad, it's like, hey, I'm here to learn, you know, practice Chinese or practice Japanese or whatever. And the people that are there want to be practicing their English, right? So it's like, how do you get to that place where they're OK actually speaking their language and like helping you? Um, so that doesn't relate to schools, but I think it's something to keep in mind, especially in thinking about partnering with, you know, schools around the world potentially to have yeah, those kinds of relationships. It's, it's so. a good point because it was this, it was the same thing. Like you know, jumping back to, to my as soon as I went in the kitchen, they wanted to talk to me in English. And I was like, I want to learn Spanish. And they're like, we know how to do this. Like native speakers, um, but bridging that gap, as I think, is important. And we finally got to a way in which every day or every time that I came back, it was okay. I have to learn a new word. And so you teach me one word, and I teach you one word. And then, we, and then that's how your your vocabulary grows, and you know how to use it, and all that kind of stuff. And it kind of goes into to more. Uh, more in depth, I guess you could say. For sure. Well, I think, and, and that's, you know, part of an argument for, like, the Vietnam example of, you know, we were all speaking Spanish and because we were all learning Spanish, right? And we had this motivation to speak that specific language. Um, here in Cordoba, there's um, a weekly event that obviously no longer is happening because of COVID. Um, and it's called Mundo Lingo. They have it all over the world, right? And it's, you go and people, they have all these stickers of flags. And so you put on top your native flag and then on the bottom, the languages that you want to practice. And so as a native English speaker, I go and everyone wants to chat with me in English. And I, I live, I live in Argentina. My Spanish is great. Um, I, it's, you know, it's perfect. It's where it needs to be. But the language that I really want to keep up that um, I haven't had the opportunity to practice as much is uh, Portuguese. I lived in Brazil for a year. My Portuguese is good, but you don't use it, you lose it. 
And the best night that I had at Mundolingo is when I met an Argentine guy who had also spent time in Brazil, who was really excited to practice Portuguese. And so there we were, you know, and there was no kind of power dynamic. There was no kind of like, oh, I feel like I didn't get what I was looking for because we spent time speaking my native language. We were both really excited about speaking that specific language and the opportunities to then learn together and learn new words together and share resources, I think could potentially be greater. So something maybe to, to think about, like people that are learning, it's both their second language. <laughs> right, right, because they're both excited to practice. It's an option. They're both excited to practice. Then that's, a, that's a huge thing. I mean, I don't know if it work in schools, but right. I know for, for grown adults, right. that would be, you know, phenomenal. For adults. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, because... Schools, maybe maybe less so. Maybe less so, because <laughs> um, I know one of, the, one of the ones I tried, I, I just, I've been on a language kick, like you said, for, for a while, and... Um, so I started off with Spanish, and then I jumped over to France, French because I was going to France for a little bit to play some volleyball and a couple other things. So I, I worked on French for a year. Um, and then I decided I'm gonna try Japanese. And I tried like, a couple of different ones and start like jumping all around with the characters. Um, but I remember in, in France it was, it was I went with my brother and sister, and we go up to. We finally land, and we're going to get tickets to the train to go into the, into the city. And I go, and my sister's like, "I don't know how we're going to do this." I'm like, "I got it, I got it, I got it." And I go out there, and I was like, "I forgot." And I was like, "You know, probably blue français, da 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 da." Like, I need a ticket, something, something, something. And the lady just looked at me, and she's like, "Your French is pretty good." I was like, "That's all I know." <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and you should, this is great. I was like, hey, this is the first interaction I've had with a native speaker, and I thought it was pretty good. And of course, my sister looked at me like I had eight heads because she was like, when did you learn French? But um, <laughs> I was like, don't worry about it. Look, I'm good. She's like, okay, you're going to be a tour guide for the rest of the show. Oh, jeez. The, the issue is when they respond, yes. right? You, like, you have your one phrase that you've practiced and you think it's really good, and they respond, and you're like, wait, <laughs> I don't know what you said. And then, she, she said it, she's like, she gave me the ticket and whatever, and then she was like, okay, do you need directions? And I was like, we. Oui. And she's like, do you want me to switch to English? I was like, yeah, let's go ahead and do that. Like, just to make sure I don't end up like in... Just for the specifics. Yeah, no, I just don't want to end up in Portugal or Spain or something like that, you know? With them. Why not? They're they're great. They're fantastic. Uh -huh. over there. <laughs> well, I think it's it's interesting because because um, you were talking about jumping to like different languages, and one thing that I remember reading was that the part of your brain where we store language, it's kind of the same whether we're learning like a language or another language. So I remember when I was living in Brazil, um, I already spoke Spanish, and after about five months in Brazil. My, I couldn't speak Spanish anymore. Like my, it's there was like a, a certain amount of space in my brain for language, and it was all full of Spanish. And then as Portuguese was seeping in, it felt like the Spanish was seeping out. <laughs> and as long as I was in Brazil, I could not speak Spanish. It took being separated from that environment, and then being back in the states and like speaking English and having my neutral. That then I was able to to do one or the other. Um, so I think the, the trying to cram multiple languages is super challenging because, you know, it's not necessarily that you're, you're learning more. I mean, you are to an extent, but you might be shoving out some of the things that you've already oh, learned. Oh, absolutely. There's absolutely. Like, I'm four or five phrases in French right now and probably maybe 
two or three in Japanese. Like, I, I've stopped those for a while. I'm like, okay, let me focus on one. Japanese is big. I mean, that was a big undertaking. That was a big one. Well, of course, I needed a goal, right? So my thought process was the goal was three, four years ago, I'm going to hammer Japanese because I want to go to the Olympics in 2020. Well, fast forward to now in COVID. <laughs> I might not need that so much. Um, not so much. So it's 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 a challenge. Okay, so I think we have a, a pretty good framework of what we're talking about. So we'll create a for like let's say elementary, middle, and high school um, a let's say multicultural week that will address for let's say the younger kids the easier stuff, the food, the music, the dance, and get them engaged in that way. If they want to proceed on to learn that language, they can. And then for the older, um, the older kids, you know, you're talking like late middle school and high school, will develop, um, you know, show them things that they might be more interested in. So things that they, such as their hobbies, maybe um, things along the lines of flirting or interacting on a more um, social level with um, other kids. And that way we can have potentially interviews of, you know, hobbies and people of things to get together. It'll last about a week, try about five different, um, I guess five different nationalities or or, um, or languages, and then see what they like, and then from there, then you can build the curriculum, or I shouldn't say the curriculum, you could build um, the classrooms of students that would want to learn those particular sure. languages. And I think the only thing that I would add to that is to preface Multicultural Week with a why languages are awesome orientation of like why this is cool, how this could serve you, and then to make sure that within whatever programming or coursework that having some sort of virtual video pen pal um, and like being able to forge relationships in that way um, is something that's consistent through the course or the program. Wonderful, nice little communication piece. Yeah. Great, so I don't um, want to be respectful of Laura's time here. She's been a great participant, but I want to give her time to shine and kind of open up uh, the co-creator segment. So what's kind of been on your mind? What have you kind of thought about? What kind of has your attention right now? For sure. Well, so as we kind of mentioned earlier that we connected based on like careers and career exploration, and that's something I really care about. And I think that doing so via projects is a really great way to explore maybe different roles. Um, so right now, one of the projects I'm working on, um, well, this one, now that she's walked across in front, I'm also a new cat mom. This is Muffin. She's hanging out. She's in her playful mode right now, so she's playing with my <laughs> my headphones. Um, but I love her dearly. She's really my, my number one priority right now. But anyway, I'm also working with an org called Scattered Solutions. Um, it provides small uh, live group classes for kids ages 0 to 17. Um, in anything from like how to do a Rubik's Cube to baking banana bread to writing to literally anything. And I'm helping them partner with um, aligned organizations and with companies that want to provide it as a benefit to their employees, specifically now to support working parents that if they're working from home, you know, and having to deal with your child and maybe with learning while well, school is out, a lot of summer camps are canceled. Um, it's a cool way to know that there's going to be almost like virtual child care virtual structured play so that you can focus on work while they're going to be engaged with you know a coach and a couple of other kids from around the world so that's the project i'm working on right now and it's pretty neat 
Awesome. So what's yeah. the what's the age range on that? Is it like um, high school, younger? Probably all of the above, I would imagine. Great question. I mean, it really serves ages zero to 17 is what we say, but the sweet spot is really three to 11 um, because those are the kids that are going to be most engaged. Um, I think there's so many options for high schoolers specifically, especially, you know, like coding camps, things like that. Um, but yeah, a lot of the courses are, are really cool. Basically, literally anything. All the coaches are vetted. Um, and it's been a really fun project to get to work on. Um, wonderful. Yeah. Well, um, we'll definitely get some notes from, from you. And we'll add those in the, in the comment yeah. descriptions and down below. So that way some people can find out about that's, uh, especially with the COVID, everything going on right now. I think that'll be really yeah. beneficial for a lot of people to save their sanity. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so once again, I want to take a, a great opportunity to thank Laura for coming out and um, sharing her, her story and her insights with us. Um, if you want to be a part of the show, just like Laura was, you can feel free to reach out to us. Um, we also went live with our website. So it's www.ideaprov.live. So you can go in there and you can kind of check that out. And you can also hit us up on any one of our social handles at, at Ideaprov as well. Until next time. 